God said there's coming a day when I'm going to shake the world. But some things will not be shaken. Some things remain. In other words, there's coming a time when the world will be pressed and there'll be no way out. Those times come in your life, in your home. Tension, friction, financial trouble. You're pressed and there doesn't seem to be a way out. There is an answer, there is a way. Jesus said, I am the way. But in the midst of all this changing, there are some things that never change. Think of it a moment. What never changes? The nature of God doesn't change. God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed to adapt himself to our generation. God is unchanging. I am the Lord God, I change not. God is unchanging in his holiness. We're all guilty of coming short of God's holy requirements and we're all sinners and we're all in need of the grace and mercy of God. And that's why the Lord Jesus came and died on the cross. He died for your sins. He died for mine. And God took your sins and laid them on Christ. God changes not in his holiness. And let me tell you, because he is our holy God, he is also unchanging in his judgment. There is a judgment day coming. Our God is a consuming fire. The Bible is filled with stories of judgment. Our Lord talked more about hell than he did heaven. There is a day of judgment coming. God is a holy God. And you and I are going to stand there. And when I stand there, I'm not going to ask for justice. I'm going to ask for mercy. I need mercy. I need the grace of God. I need the forgiveness of God. And I want to tell you a wonderful thing. God loves you and he offers you tonight forgiveness and he offers you mercy. God can forgive every sin you've ever committed. God can wipe the slate clean because of Christ. Not because you deserve it. For by grace are ye saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. God is unchanging. He's unchanging in his love. God loves you. That's the most wonderful thing to go to bed with at night, to know that God loves me. God forgives me. God is interested in me. But I must receive him. Secondly, the word of God does not change. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I settled that a long time ago. There are a lot of things in this Bible I don't understand. There are questions you could ask me that I cannot answer. I don't know all the answers in this book. How can a finite mind like mine comprehend the infinite? I cannot. So one day I opened the Bible and I said, Oh Lord, I accept this as your word by faith. And 
that settled it from that moment on. When I quote the scriptures, I know that I'm quoting the Word of God. It's a living Word. And lastly, the way of salvation has not changed. All these centuries, the way to the kingdom of God is exactly the same. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He will never change. But you must change. words of Billy Graham spoken in, I believe, 1973, and they are as powerful today. They are as powerful today as the day they were brought forward. You can just hear the depth of compassion in his heart, the, the depth of knowing that his words were being spoken and they were going to transform lives. Folks, that's the passion that we need to have. We need to have that same passion that allowed Billy Graham to speak to 2.2 billion people over his lifetime through radio, through crusades, through whatever medium heard him preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 215 million people uh, saw him at a live event and 2.2 million people are the number of people who responded to the gospel through his crusades. He spoke in 185 nations or territories. He spoke to over 13 presidents in his lifetime. Some of the things that some of you don't know that he had a crusade in 1957 in Madison Square Garden that lasted four months every night in Madison Square Garden. At that same time, NBC came to him and offered him a $5 million contract to uh, speak uh, on NBC on behalf of what he stood for, and he turned him down. He didn't want to be owned by anybody or swayed or manipulated. One of the things that a lot of people overlook in the life of Billy Graham is he was a crusader for reconciliation. In 1963, he was the one who posted bond for Martin Luther King when he was arrested during the civil rights protests in Birmingham, Alabama. And he moved his crusades against the will and the advice of all the people that were around him into the South and had both blacks and whites coming together to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because he had a passion that was moved to do the right thing for all the people all of the time. Last week, we talked about making yourself available. We talked about targeting and being that person who, when you see a situation to be able to share your faith, that you would take full advantage of the opportunity that God has given you. We talked last week in Luke 9, 1 through 6 about Jesus sending out his disciples on their first round of ministry. He had taught them and trained them and showed them and walked with them for eight chapters, for uh, uh, over a year at this time. But Jesus shows us 
that it's not just enough to walk and talk with him. We must have a determination to be available to minister on his behalf. In the text in Luke chapter 9, Jesus showed us three things that I just want to review just briefly. One is this. When he sent out his disciples, he sent them out with power. He knew that what they were going to face, he knew the world in which they lived in and that they would need power to do this. This is even before the full release of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father, my message next week, had even come upon the church. But when Jesus sends you out, he takes care of you. He provides for you. He gives you everything you need for the mission that he has made available for you. The second thing that we saw is he not only sent us out, but he's expecting us to do business. He has entrusted his kingdom into our hands. And we are now his hands and his feet, his voice to the earth today. Everything that Billy Graham spoke about in the condition of society at that time rests in our society today. They are things that will never end and never go away. The poor will always be with us. Those who are against us will always be against us. But the one who is for us is more powerful than any force that could come against us. And we need to understand he is expecting us to do business. For the kingdom of God. He didn't give his life. For just any reason. He gave his life for the reason. You and I. Needed a savior. And nothing could come. To do what needed to be done for us. But the son of God. The third thing he has called us to do. Was walk in that dominion. To walk in that authority. To walk in that compassion. To make ourselves available for the things that God has set us up for us to do. You know, I believe that Billy Graham knew something about people. I believe that he knew something about God. And I, knew, I know that he knew that he had the home field advantage everywhere that he went. So often we go out. And we walk with our tails between our legs, our head down to our feet, wondering if God is with us or if his power will be available. I got good news for you today that God has called us to succeed in the realm of evangelism. He has set us up for success and he's given us a head start. When the Bible says that God knows us in our mother's womb, there is something that transpires in the womb of a woman that is so special that God is there at that moment. And God is doing work in what is inside that life that is inside of a mother. He's doing work at that moment. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us this. In Ecclesiastes 1.11, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has, put, he has put eternity in the hearts of all men. There's already something in every person's heart that's drawing them to the king. It's a holy GPS system that God has set in there. And all we've got to do is put the address of heaven in and ask Jesus Christ to be our personal savior. And our eternity is in his hands. 
He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's put eternity in the hearts of all men. Everyone instinctively knows that death is not our ultimate end. And that's why it remains such a mystery to so many. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you might know that it's not the end, but you don't know how it ends. But when you know Jesus, when you know Jesus, you have a peace that passes all understanding. And when you know Jesus, you should want to share that peace with everyone who you come in contact with. Whether or not... All men or religions acknowledge Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Man has put together multiple outcomes for some kind of eternal existence. Religion after religion talks about life in the hereafter. It might be man making up something about reincarnation or some fantasy about what uh, man's mind has created. But make no mistake about it, they're creating those things because God put eternity in their hearts. And there is a hope that rests inside of all men, especially those who are of the faith, to know that God is ready and willing to accept us that God has given His only Son. And the Bible says and is very clear, Jesus says, there is no way unto the Father except through the Son. One way. One way. I hear so many people debate these things. So many people will... Pastor, these other religions can't be wrong, can they? Well, if they're not wrong, then ours is wrong. So I'm going to stick with what Billy Graham said. By faith, I believe everything that this Bible says. And I believe this Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is the one and only way. The one and only Savior who died for your sins. The one and only Savior who has prepared a, a pathway for you. Everyone knows, but God has put in us that thing of eternity. It's a, it's a code. It's a DNA from heaven. And when we activate the code, when we call upon his name, we have our place in eternity. It's not a mystery. It's a reality of how we get to where God has called us to do. God's set you up to succeed. That it's already in the heart of the person that you're sharing the gospel with. And you just need to speak to that place in people's heart where eternity is already resting. You know, the Apostle Paul went to minister one time to rabbis and great thinkers. And he rationalized with them. And not much happened. And that's why he wrote in, in 1 Corinthians, he said... I'm not going to preach that way anymore. I'm going to preach the, the true gospel, the power of God, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'm going to demonstrate this by bringing signs and wonders and miracles into people's lives so that they can come to know the reality of his king and my king and your king. There is a way that seems right to man. But in its way, the Bible says, it leads to death. But there is a way that is right, and it leads to life. And his name is Jesus Christ, and he sets you up to succeed. That's the first way. The second way, and there's many, and I'm only going to discuss a few today, is this. 
In Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their own righteousness suppress the truth. What can be known about what what uh, what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all the things that have been made. People know when they look at the earth that this just didn't happen by happenstance. That there is a creator. They might not know him. They might not know who he is, but they know of him because he is in their heart and they can see his great creation. God says that people can just take one look at what has been created by him and know that someone who created all that they see is amazing. You might want to deny the creator, but you cannot deny his creation. They see his creation with the eyes that he created. Understand that when you go to speak to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is put an eternal eternal code into their hearts, and he's given them the eyes to see what he has created. And somewhere inside of them, they're longing for the truth to bring revelation to their life. We live in a generation right now that is looking for truth. They're looking everywhere for truth and being manipulated by every turn. But the reality is this. There is no manipulating God the Father. And there is no changing the perspective of God the Son. And we are thankful that God the Holy Spirit has filled us to the place where the promise of the Father has enabled us to have the power to do what He's called us to do. Another advantage that we have. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, He told us the fields are white unto harvest. And he said, the laborers are few, so your odds are pretty good. If you're a laborer and the fields are white under the harvest and there's not very many of you, then it should be just your day to start going out and picking off the fruit that God's called us to bring into his kingdom. Amen. He's put eternity in the hearts of all men. He's given us a creation that shows who he is. He's brought us into a place and told us that many are seeking after some form of revelation of eternity. He says the fields are white unto harvest. We, the laborers, are few, so we should be able to have a good advantage, wouldn't you say? We've got the home field advantage. The fourth thing that I want to just say about our advantage. Our advantage comes in the idea of the pain that people experience in life. And that pain brings hopelessness. How do we know this? What biblical analogy could we make? What about the woman at the well? Five different relationships, five misplaced days, five times to where, you know, uh, uh, something failed in her life. And she operated every day out of pain and shame. How do we know that? Because 
in the hottest part of the day is when she came to draw her water. Why? Because most came in the coolest of the morning or the coolness of the evening. But she came there because her shame brought her in the hottest part of the day to draw her water so she wouldn't have to be around people. But who came to meet her at the place that she was? Who came to embrace her pain? Who came to speak a message of hope to her? Who came to transform her life? Well, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life so that all who believed in him would have life everlasting. He is the answer. He's, he's in our hearts. He's shown us by what he's created. He's given us the advantage. There's just few of us doing the thing. And how many of you today can say, you know somebody who is experiencing the pain of life and has hopelessness, despair, dis depression, and discouragement going on? You've got their answer. You've got what they need. Isn't it interesting, though, what motivates people for ministry? What motivates people to do the things that need done to bring Jesus to other people's lives? Well, we know this, that in order to get to that place, we've got to just be like Isaiah the prophet and say, Lord, whatever you want, here I am. Here I am. I'm making myself available. Here I am, God, so lead me, direct me, encourage me. Let me see the benefit of doing the things that you've called us to do. And when we get to the place to where we are actively available for God, and then we see, if you would, turn with me to, Matt, or to Luke chapter 9. I want to look at a text of scripture from when Jesus fed the 5,000. This encounter, this, this act of feeding the 5,000 is in every gospel. And it's interesting how each writer, what he has to say about it. But before I do that, I just want to share what happened before this time. Because see, I think what so many people think is that the disciples just lottie dod through life and they did the Jesus thing. They got eight hours of sleep and then they had a morning worship service and then they had a prayer service and then, you know, they just wandered through till the next thing happened to happen. That's not the reality of what the disciples lived with. Before the feeding of the 5,000, something major happened. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, was beheaded. It's an extremely emotional thing. And after John the Baptist was beheaded, it says John's disciples went to Jesus and shared this information. Before it was time for Jesus to minister to the multitudes, he just found out that because of who he was, his cousin lost his head, lost his life. What a tragedy! What a tragedy that was. So many of us have faced something tragic in our lives. So many of us have had something that we've experienced that it just comes so hard, it almost stops your progression. The second thing that was going on at this time, if you look at Luke chapter 9, it was the first time that Jesus sent out his disciples. And so John the Baptist was beheaded. 
Jesus' disciples were coming back from their first round of ministry. They were all tired. A couple of the translations say just that very thing, that these guys were weary. They had just gotten the emotional, infor, the emotional information that John the Baptist had lost his head. And they just came back from a time of ministering. Great things had happened in the ministry. But I don't know if you've ever been a part of a ministry op, but when you go out and minister for eight hours a day uh, for multiple days of a week, you're tired at the end of it. You've given yourself out emotionally. You've given yourself out physically. You haven't eaten the way you normally eat. You don't drink the way you normally drink. You haven't slept the way you've normally slept. And his disciples came back and they were telling Jesus about all of the ministry that had transpired. And Jesus said to them, guys, we got to get away. We got, we got to get away for a minute. We got to rest. You need to rest. So it says in Luke 9, 10, it says, And the apostles, when they had returned, they told him all that they had done. They were testifying to Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, when he sent them out again, they had even greater testimonies of what Jesus did in and through them. But in this particular occurrence, it says, Then he, Jesus, took them and went aside privately into a deserted place uh, belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the reason he did that was is because he knew that they needed to draw in for a rest because they had given so much of themselves. But the reality in Jesus' world was this. There wasn't a whole lot of time to turn away. There wasn't a whole lot of time to hang his head over his cousin and what happened to him. There wasn't a whole lot of time to allow the disciples to just uh, uh, sit back and relax because it says in verse 11, but when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. Every place that Jesus went, the multitudes went after him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And it says, and he healed those who were in need of healing. When you look at every occurrence of this time of feeding the 5,000, the Bible says this, that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. He couldn't be moved out of his flesh because his flesh was wore out. His emotional side was taxed because of what happened to his cousin. But the Bible says in these different occurrences, this is what he saw in the multitudes. He saw them as sheep that were scattered for the slaughter. That these were people that had no direction, no hope. And, and the reason they came after him, because he was the hope that they were looking for. It didn't matter how emotionally spent he was or physically exhausted. He knew that these people needed something. It says in another occurrence that these people were, were scattered and it was this. They had no hope and no place to go. So what was Jesus doing? He was looking over the crowd that followed him. And he saw they had a great need. And so it was time then to put away all of his emotional hurt, all of his physical tiredness, and all of the gang, and call them back into action. And in verse 11, it says, When the multitude knew it, they followed him. 
You see, the way we view certain people and certain situations determines how or if we will take action. In this situation, Jesus had a great crowd of people from many places chasing after him. And he made the observation that they were like sheep with no shepherd. People are no different today. They're looking for something they can hang their hat on. They're looking for somebody they can trust. They're looking for somebody that can help them navigate the pathways of this existence. I've never seen a day in my lifetime where people are more confused about what to do, where to turn, and which way to go than I see now in, in the United States. These people must have exhibited, they must have exhibited a deep desperation to find the direction to take them to a better place in life. And he must have looked at them and saw that they had many needs. He must have looked at them and found compassion for where they were at. The Bible says he did two things. It says first he taught them about the kingdom of God because he knew that they needed to have a revelation about not only what he was talking about, but what they could be a part of. The second thing the Bible says is that he saw the desperation of the sick and he healed many of them. This is what I want you to know. When you make yourself available and when compassion motivates you to do the things that God has called you to do, he will not only gift you, but he will empower you. So when you are at that place at a gas station filling up and watching the person weep on the pump next to you. Will you be available and will compassion motivate you? Because if it does, God then will release to you whatever gift it is that you need to draw them into that place of full revelation of who he is through you. There is nothing more exciting in a believer's life than to get into a position of ministry and watch God enable you for that ministry. To watch God give you a prophetic word, something about them that no one else knew, just like the woman at the well. Jesus wasn't looking at her past infirmities. He was looking at the potential of her eternity. In compassion, when we make ourselves available and become motivated by compassion, God moves in the midst of us. He'll give us exactly what we need for that exact time of ministry because he knows that we are extending ourselves out to the one he knew in his or her mother's womb. He knows this is where the GPS is going to connect. And he'll give you what you need. To do what needs to be done. Jesus ultimately felt for these people a deep compassion. And that's what generated in him to take action. Can you put my target uh, up there, Judy? There's a compassion that has to happen. We talked about targeting and, and setting your focus and bringing into reality the things that need to transpire in, in, in the ministry that God has given us. And in verse uh, 12, it says this, when the day began to wear away. Now, what they're saying is, is that 
Jesus and the disciples ministered all day long to these people. No one talked anything about breakfast. Nobody talked anything about lunch. Nobody talked anything about how many bottles of water did you pass out to the crowd or how many do you have available in the lobby. These first world situations that we live in, it doesn't mention anything about that. But it says that as he taught them, as the ministry took place, that ministry lasted all day long. And now the people were hungry. And I said it's by compassion that Jesus was led to minister to the multitudes. And now it was by determination that he wanted to feed them. Determination he wanted to feed them. When you look at how the disciples saw this situation, they saw this great crowd of people. They saw that it was late in the day. How often do we measure everything by what we see with our natural eye as opposed to what we believe by faith can happen through Jesus Christ? See, this was a a hopeless situation to the disciples. They said to Jesus that, Jesus, have you seen the size of this crowd? Did you notice there were 5,000 men, which means that they had women and children with them as well? It was a sea of people. You know, one of Billy Graham's greatest ministries came in Seoul, South Korea in 1973. 1.1 million people. They prepared a roadway a mile long and about a football field wide to house all the people that would come to this meeting. See, people are hungry for something. People will sit in a crowd of a million if they would know Jesus was there. The multitudes always followed him because Jesus showed them the love of the Father. So it was by compassion that he ministered. Now it was by determination that he was going to feed them. His disciples said, Jesus, this is an impossible situation. But we know that our Bible, the one we believe by faith, amen? Does anybody believe with me in faith that the Bible is what it says it is? By faith, Jesus said, we're going to minister. We're going to meet the need that is in front of us. He was determined to bring something to these people that would go beyond the realm of just teaching them. It was activating who he was. And so when Jesus moves in compassion, he brings determination into us for the things that we need to do. And these are the places where miracles begin to happen. It was going to be multitudes of money. Not only was that the issue, but there was really nowhere to get the the bread. They were out in a deserted area. Where were they even going to go buy the bread? Isn't it interesting that so often we limit ourselves by what we see with the natural eye? And this is what Jesus was saying to them. Don't determine what can happen by what you see. Make a determination to walk in a place of faith and trust me for what can be accomplished. And so when they looked over the crowd, a couple of 
uh, in setting up for this ministry, a couple of the places where it's talked about, it said he broke them up into groups of 50 and he just began setting them all over the place. So there was some order to the way the ministry would take place. So they were, they were working in a place of order. And then Jesus said, what do you got? That was the key question. In verse 13, and he said to them, he said, you give them something to eat. And he said, and his disciples said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go buy food for these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And then he said to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And they uh, made them all sit down. And then Jesus did what he's good at doing. He took what was ever available to him. And then he utilized it to make the miracle that needed to happen. How many times do you look at your neighbor as the miracle that Jesus is about to make happen? How many times do you walk into your day and wake up and say, Jesus, make me the miracle that needs to happen? How many times do you set out saying when you wake up, Lord, make me the answer to somebody's prayer? Make me the answer to somebody's prayer. I had told you last week in my testimony, a person I was praying for, God had sent three different people to them through the prayers that were being prayed. And those three people brought that person to a determination of saying there must be a God and I know that I need him. So Jesus took what was available, he put my target back up there, he took what was available, he moved with compassion, and then through determination, he uh, 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 brought the disciples to a whole different plateau. Through his determination to do the ministry that needed to be done, it doesn't matter if it's a hundred projectors that you need, it doesn't matter if it's a $5 coupon that you need. It doesn't matter whatever it is you need. When you bring determination to the forefront of your ministry, he provides what we need because he puts into action now the things that are going to need to take place because of the fact that hit the center of the target. The object is, is to bring people to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. This doesn't happen by happenstance, nor does it happen by osmosis. It needs a human interaction mixed with a, a spiritual movement from on high to take people to the place of knowing Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Making yourself available is so important. Moving by compassion is, is, is uh, non-optional. Because most people that you will minister to who are close to you have burnt you out. I've shared the gospel with them a hundred times. Well, maybe the hundred and fourth time it'll hit. 
You know what I always love is when people say, you know what, I, I share my faith at the office, but you know people blow me off, and, and I share my faith at the ballpark, and then people blow me off. And then you go into work one day, and the guy that's worked there 35 years that's blown you off, his wife has passed away, and the first person they come to is you. Because you have been the consistent force in their life to tell them there is hope beyond where you're at in life. You get to the ballpark and, and, and the, the, the mom that's sitting up in the crowd, has her husband has just walked out on her. And she has the three kids crawling over top of her. Not to mention the one that's on the field that couldn't find his glove and had to borrow one. Situations that are unheard of. But when that happens, that same mom crawls down to the second row of the bleachers where you have been a stable force the whole time of the Little League Baseball League. And she sets her head on your shoulder and cries on your shoulder because you have made yourself available. And this is the time where your compassion comes into play. This is the time that you're going to determine as you hear this mom say that we have no food, that you're going straight to Kroger or Aldi or Meyer or Walmart or wherever you shop after the game, and you're going to make sure that there is no hunger. You're going to sacrifice knowing that God will supply not only all of their need through you, but your need when you're done. See, we're so worried that if we extend ourselves out and give something out, that we're not going to get something back that will be enough to sustain who we are. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, in the 10th verse, it says that we are to give preference to other people above ourselves. That we are the ones that have to walk in a different place. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not easy. And you're not going to win any popularity contests. And most likely, they're not going to erect a statue for you in the center of the community park. But what is being erected for you is a place in heaven that God has prepared, not only for those who love him, but who serve him. And there's going to be a day that when you stand before God and enter that place of eternity, that there are going to be those that you touched at one time and you're not even aware of it, who have found a place of eternity, a place of hope, a place of rest in their lives that has brought them to the assurance of who Jesus Christ is. Five loaves and two fish. See, he didn't say, bring me the five most popular people and the two prettiest women, and then we're going to entertain the crowd. How many of you know this isn't Bob Hope going to entertain the troops? This is Jesus Christ coming to make not a one-time impact in somebody's life, but an eternal impact into those who we come in contact with. Folks, it was only eight chapters of Luke before Jesus turned them loose to do the things. We were never intended to just be a group of people that collect themselves on Sunday morning. We were meant to be a force that celebrates on Sunday all of the great things that God has done Monday through Saturday. And this is a time of celebration, 
of those events. Next week, we're going to talk about the promise of the Father. Because the promise of the Father, the giving of the Holy Spirit, was for the purpose of being a witness to Columbus and Ohio and the nation and the world. That's what the purpose of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for. I hope that you can see that when God begins to minister to a situation, that he brings life to it like no one else can. He's been doing that since the day he created Adam from the dust of the earth and blew life into Adam. It's the same God right now who's bringing life to us and telling us, go, do the work that I've called you to do. Go into the fields that are white unto harvest and be a laborer. Go make yourself available. When you have an opportunity, move in compassion. When you see what needs to be done, have a determination to do the things that need to be done. Take action because those are the things that lead people to Jesus. People are not moved by lip service anymore. They're moved by determination and action and availability. Would you stand with me today? I want to challenge you to put your own target together. And I want you to put those people that maybe you've lost hope for, get them back on there. I want you to take your target and, and, and put that person that when you pray, God shows you who is ready to receive him. Take those people that you know in your neighborhood that you've lived with for the last 20 years but have hardly had a conversation with them. Put them on there. Challenge yourself to become available to those who have needs. As I said before, it's not just that God has placed that eternal DNA in people. Pain motivates people to have an open heart to receive the hope that God has given them. And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you and, and, and uh, uh, motivate you to look at this thing a little differently. It's great to have great support. And the Bible says that we are to minister to the believers before we go out there so that we can be strengthened. But as we do it, we got to do it. We got to get out there. We got to talk. We got to share. We got to be his hands and feet. Father, today I thank you for these messages that you've placed on my heart. I thank you that it's crystal clear that you have placed in us uh, that all the keys and all the skills and all the things that we need to do what you've gifted us to do in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that as we have had these times over these last three weeks to talk and to put the lost in front again, to, to move it off the back shelf and put it on the front burner, I pray, God, that as naturally as it is to awaken in the morning, would it be as natural just to make ourselves available for that day for your kingdom. 
Father, I thank you, God, that as I look into your word, I see that every place in which our foot shall tread, you've given it unto us. I see that every need that we have, personally, physically, emotionally, that you're there to meet those for us. And Father, I just pray that out of the joy of what we found, that we would have a motivation to do what you've called us to do. Jesus, I thank you so much that you have not died in vain, that you have died for the sins of all mankind, and you've given us, God, that ability and authority to do what you've done. You know, Lord, we may never come to the place to where we're in front of 250 million people like Billy Graham is and was, but you can put us in front of that one, just that one, that we can be a part of changing their eternity and speaking life eternal life into their existence. So, Father, I thank and praise you that we could be called the ambassadors of the Most High God and that we represent your kingdom. Inspire us to now go, make disciples of all men of all nations, and to do what you've called us to do. And, Father, today we give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Go in peace and go do something good for the Lord. Amen? Amen.